Welcome to Let's Review RN. My name is Bryn O'Donnell, and I'm a certified adult and geriatric nurse practitioner. I work as a cardiology APN and function as a visiting professor and clinical instructor for a BSN program. This is an independent production by myself, and I am not representing any educational institution. My goal is to deliver a condensed but robust review on topics primarily discussed in Adult Health 1 and 2 and some pieces of pharmacology of a bachelor degree nursing program. Over the years, I've learned that students have an immense amount of confusion and questions when they leave didactic, which makes applying what they are learning nearly impossible to the clinical setting. I want to break down the basics so that you can continue to build upon your knowledge and put the pieces together. Hi, everybody, and welcome to today's episode of Let's Review RN. Today, I'm going to be talking about anaphylactic shock. Anaphylaxis is a severe and acute life-threatening allergic reaction. It is an allergic reaction to a sensitizing substance such as a medication, food, or insect venom, to name a few, that quickly cause massive vasodilation, release of vasoactive mediators, and increased capillary permeability. The allergen triggers release of histamines and other substances systemically, which leads to a significant decrease in tissue perfusion throughout the body. Anaphylactic shock is a type of distributive shock, which means that the small vessels that deliver nutrients and oxygen to the cells of the body are no longer able to adequately distribute blood flow. This is due to the extensive histamine release by mast or basophil cells, which cause circulatory failure and massive vasodilation. To review, vasodilation is the widening or relaxation of blood vessels throughout your body. When massive vasodilation occurs, it dramatically affects the circulation of oxygen, blood, and nutrients to the vital organs. When we have significantly decreased tissue perfusion, we have shock. When vasodilation occurs and simultaneously capillary permeability increases, we have vascular fluid leak from that vascular space to the interstitial space. Allergens can be introduced to the body through many different routes. An allergen can be injected, inhaled, it can be consumed orally, or can come in contact with the skin. To give some examples, the patient can consume orally or eat foods causing anaphylactic shock such as shellfish, peanuts, tree nuts, eggs, or even dairy. They may also take oral medications such as NSAIDs or antibiotics like penicillin, which can lead to anaphylactic shock. Injections would be something like medication that the patient is allergic to, uh, such as contrast, or a vaccine. Inhalation can play a role when a patient breathes in an allergen they are severely sensitive to, causing a massive histamine reaction. An allergen can be introduced via the skin, for instance, if the patient is allergic to latex and it comes in contact with them, or even an insect sting where the venom causes anaphylactic shock. Anaphylactic reactions are type 1 reactions referred to as IgE-mediated reactions. This occurs in patients who are highly sensitized to a specific allergen. IgE antibodies are produced in response to that exposure or that initial exposure to allergens and are capable of attaching to mast cells and basophils. On the first exposure, this is precisely what occurs. IgE antibodies are produced and bind to these mast cells and basophil cells. This is when the patient becomes sensitized. 
It occurs on the first exposure. Then, on any subsequent exposure of the allergen, it links with the IgE bound to the mast cells or the basophil cells and triggers degranulation of the cells in so that it has a release of these chemical mediators from these granules. The chemical mediators include histamine, serotonin, leukotrienes, eosinophils, or ECF-A, which stands for chemotactic factor of anaphylaxis. Also, kinins and bradykinins are released. When these mediators are released, they attack the target tissue, causing clinical symptoms of allergic response, which include contraction of smooth muscle, increased vascular permeability, vasodilation, hypotension, increased secretion of mucus, and itching. Another cause of anaphylactic shock is anaphylactoid reaction. This is a non-immunological reaction and is not related to IgE. There is no sensitization required, which means that this can happen on the first exposure. This can be seen with patients where they're given IV contrast, chemotherapy agents, or even vancomycin or quinolone antibiotics. Non-IgE-mediated anaphylactic reactions can activate plasma proteins or compounds which, have directly, which act directly on the mast cell membrane. So let's talk about signs and symptoms. It's important to recognize and understand the signs and symptoms of anaphylactic shock so that intervention can occur quickly. Again, symptoms are directly related to the release of histamines throughout the body in response to this allergen. Histamines cause vasodilation, causing the blood pressure to tank. When tissue perfusion decreases due to that low blood pressure caused by this massive vasodilation, the body's compensatory mechanism is to increase the heart rate in order to circulate more blood. So a patient will experience a rapid heart rate. Increased capillary permeability will occur. So we'll see fluid leaking from the vasculature space. So inside the vessels, it will leak to the interstitial space, which is this, the tissue. This results in swelling or edema. When we have increased capillary permeability, fluid leaking and causing edema, this is why we see swelling and fluid accumulation in the upper airways. The airway is also experiencing bronchoconstriction, making it difficult to breathe and leading to poor gas exchange. All of this also causes a significant drop in cardiac output. Patients can experience itching and it can affect the GI tract. So patients can develop vomiting, nausea, pain in the abdomen, and even diarrhea. So let's review again the symptoms. When we talk about respiratory, we can see wheezing, we can see dyspnea or shortness of breath, we can see swelling in the upper airways, which increases mucus secretion. They can have difficulty communicating. Patients can have runny nose, runny eyes, and even coughing. Cardiac symptoms include vasodilation, which causes hypotension, tachycardia. This can lead to a loss of consciousness because that cardiac output has decreased so much, and it can lead to hypoxia due to this poor tissue perfusion. With the skin, you can see itchy, redness, swelling, and with the GI tract, you can see vomiting, nausea, diarrhea, and abdominal discomfort. I should add too, with skin, you can even see hives. Now let's talk about nursing interventions and treatment. 
First and foremost, we want to make sure that we're taking preventative measures. Assess the patient's allergies, avoid allergens. We need to properly document their allergies so that the other team members of the interdisciplinary team are aware of their allergies. We also need to be knowledgeable about the signs and symptoms of anaphylactic shock so we can identify if a patient is having an anaphylactoid reaction because remember, they don't have a prior exposure or sensitization period, so this can occur with the first introduction of an agent. The anaphylaxis occurs on the first encounter encounter with anaphylactoid reactions. So we need to respond fast and quickly. And so one of the acronyms that you can use is ACT FAST to remember the interventions that we need to do for anaphylactic shock. So ACT FAST, initially the A stands for remove the allergen, such as stopping the medication and getting them oxygen to support their airway. So A means remove the allergen and support their airway. C means call a code or start CPR if necessary. T stands for transdellenberg position. So you want to tilt the patient so that their head is down in a transdellenberg position. And what this will do is increase venous return. And it helps with the blood pressure and also cardiac output. If a patient is vomiting though, you need to be sure that they're positioned on their side so that they don't aspirate. Next, in ACFAST is F. First-line treatment is epinephrine. This is administered IM, so intramuscularly or subcutaneously. This will cause vasoconstriction to help increase the blood pressure and cardiac output, as well as cause bronchodilation to help relax the airway and improve oxygenation. A, act on or administer the active orders that are there in place for anaphylactic shock. This will be IV fluids to help with hypovolemia in the vasculature and in, in cause or help with restoring the fluid volume in the vasculature, and it will help with the hypotension. Albuterol in the form of duonebs to help relax the airways. Corticosteroids, this will help with the swelling and inflammation of the airway. And antihistamines such as Benadryl, which is an H1 block, blocker, You may see this as diphenhydramine, which again is Benadryl. You can also administer H2 blockers such as ranitidine to help with the antihistamine reaction as well. S means stay with the patient. Patients will require close monitoring because they can go into what's called biphasic anaphylaxis, which is when the patient has repeat shock without repeat exposure. This can typically happen within hours of that initial reaction. T stands for teach. We need to be educating and teaching our patients about their allergies, how to avoid their allergens, and what to do if exposure occurs again. These patients will then need to carry an EpiPen. It needs to be carried at all times and needs to be replaced when expired. They need to understand and be knowledgeable on how to administer this when exposure occurs. Communicating their allergies to caregivers, coaches, and schools also needs to be strongly enforced. I hope you all enjoyed today's episode, and this will be the start of a series of shock. So next episode, I'll be talking about another form of shock. You can always find me at Let's Review RN on Facebook and on Instagram. And if you have any questions, feel free to email me at letsreviewrn at gmail.com.
This podcast is for general information review purposes only. It does not constitute the practice of medicine or nursing. The use of this information or any materials provided by Let's Review RN are at the user's own risk. This content is not intended to be a substitute for educational teachings through students' educational institutes or organizations.